is Fesad Pliqueta. This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus-Cheek and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. Hello and welcome back to London is Blue. We are here for you today with another episode about the women's team because the season, the WSL season, is almost upon us. We have done some quick-fire season predictions with Tracy Brown, Kerry Evans and Nick Fellaini, which you should have all heard by now. But now we are here to do a bit more of a deep dive into how we think this Chelsea squad has developed over the summer, what the season ahead holds for the team, and a little bit of a peek into what everyone else has been up to, because apparently there are other women's football teams out there. Not that you'd necessarily always know it from listening to us, or indeed because of how well the team performs. But I am joined today by Abdullah. Abdullah, how are you doing? Hello. I am good. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Looking forward to getting everything underway. Starting to feel a bit previewed out. I feel like it happens and then you're like, yeah. I just want to know what's going to happen now. Uh, but we are also joined with a, a debut, a debut on the show from, from Blair Newman at the second ball, a great women's football analyst. Blair, how are you? And also give give our listeners a bit of intro to, to yourself so they can get to know you. I'm good. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um... So I'm a writer. I've written about women's football for a couple of years now for Equaliser Soccer. Um, and I've worked as a scout previously for clubs in Scotland as well. So, yeah, I've got some writing experience, some scouting experience. I'd like to combine the two. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, a great follow um, for anyone on Twitter who, who's not following Blair. Really recommend it for pe- people who are looking to to get that little bit of extra insight into into the women's game across the season. But... Blair, I'm going to come to you you straight away on this as we, we get into the Chelsea team more generally because uh, Londoners Blue listeners will have heard, I think, quite a lot from me and Abdullah this summer about Chelsea's transfer window. So we're looking for a new voice here. Quite a lot of incomings. Buchanan, Kanarids, Fitkova, Kamkovic and Perisette, all, all players going straight into the first team squad. What have you made of, of this transfer window? I think it's been pretty good. Um, you know, Buchanan is like a massive statement sign, I think, for, for any WSL club to make. Um, I don't know when a Leon player has left Leon to go to England. I don't know if that's ever happened before. Um, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, JRK, I wasn't massively convinced by her in the Euros, but then I haven't seen a lot of her. And when I saw her in pre-season, she looks lightning quick. So I think that's that's a good addition as well. Um, we also, you've got Perisay. I rated her in France, so I think that's a good sign. And um sick of it you know she played quite well at left wing back west ham didn't she so i think she kind of fits the 3-4-3 system if you play that as a as an alternative to writing and who's the other one i'm forgetting or oh, kankovic i don't know much about kankovic i've got to be honest but i've heard that she's very good so let's go with that i think that generally i'll take that as as a positive thing and in terms of leon players coming to england i just hope kadisha buchanan is more successful than nikita paris has been abdullah <laughs> obviously we are still looking at potentially getting one more midfielder in by the sounds of things tom gary reporting today which is is friday to to peek behind the curtain well i think we're quite ahead of when people might be listening to this but the chelsea are willing to break you know the world record we set ourselves signing Pinilla harder to get grass Oro. i don't think there's there's anything really new in that report other than you know we've seen Oro come out with comments herself saying basically she wants to leave psg they've taken the captaincy off her don't get me wrong Oro is is definitely a nice to have i would like to start the season do you feel at this point she's a need to have? 
I, if I'm being pure, really honest, no, I don't think she's a need. She's not a must. She's not a need. She's a great luxury to have in, in the broader sense of the, uh, of the word, but not a need. I think we have enough of those kinds of players, and I know we'll get onto it a little bit later, but we still have Melanie Loipels to come back, who's a very similar profile of box-to-box midfielder, and, and in her own right, top up there as one of the best midfielders in the world on her day. So you don't want to be, you know, it's in, in, a, in a weird sense, you don't want to block Loipels' path back into the first team by having Gioro there and then not having to play one or the other, and then you end up losing one, right? And rather have the one that you have that's already used to the system than getting a new one in, albeit Gioro is is, is a world-class player. And I think I think there's more of a need to get a number six in, I think, rather than getting a, number, a box-to-box number eight. That would be my call at this point. But, hey, listen, if they end up getting Gioro, no one's, we're not going to complain. It's another world-class player to have in that midfield and kind of adds to the point that... Um, I think I think Robert talked about on on Twitter uh, earlier this week that looks like Chelsea are going for uh, Emma Hayes is going for two starting 11s. You can basically have two teams on the pitch, and Giro fits one, and maybe Leipzig fits the other. But how you manage all those e- egos and all those names and all those star star power in that dressing room, I don't know. I, I wouldn't want to be there. Yeah, uh, it's the Nottingham Forest approach to the transfer window, I believe. The two the two starting 11s to have. But yeah, it, it is interesting. You know, I feel like the question of, of how you balance the players often comes up with regard to Chelsea. And I think generally that's one of Emma Hayes' great strengths is she inspires a kind of loyalty, which very few managers manage to keep as, as many players happy at, the, at a high level as she does. And I, I always kind of compare her to, to Pep in that sense. I think when you're a manager as accomplished as someone like Hayes or Guardiola is, is players kind of want to play for you and impress you regardless. And I think that's that's one of our greatest assets, to be honest, to, to Chelsea. But let's break this down position by position, uh, looking at the players who are currently in the door at Chelsea and, and how we think they're going to basically perform and fit within the club this season. We'll start with the goalkeepers. Uh, Blair, this is kind of like a... <laughs> A tricky position for for Chelsea, really. Obviously, the news of the recurrence of AKP's cancer has been kind of incredibly upsetting on a personal level for the for the club, and it it does have a knock on effect at a footballing level. I don't think it's entirely clear, you know, what AKP's treatment might look like when she might be back playing football. But I think for now we can say that there's probably a lot of pressure on on Musevich. Do you feel like she's ready to take that step up and kind of become Chelsea's number one? Um, I'm not sure because I think watching uh, Chelsea goalkeepers, you need to watch a lot of games to actually understand how good they are because they don't have a lot to do in a lot of games. So I need to probably bide my time before I say that. I think she's maybe better on the ball than Berger. I don't know what you guys think about that, just based on what I've seen. Her reflexes are gonna. It's gonna be hard to be a better one v one or reflex goalkeeper than Berger, because I think she's one of the best in the world at that. Um, but yeah, I think her distribution might be slightly better, and I think we'll see if she has better command of her box. That's another box that she can tick, maybe um, that Berger maybe didn't quite always tick. I've also um, I saw there was a rumor you guys were linked with. Is it Everard, Nicky Everard, the Belgian goalkeeper? So I don't know if she would be maybe a good backup option if Berger's not available. Yeah, Abdullah, I was going to throw you to this this one to you. Um, Amanda Zaza reporting that, that Chelsea are interested in Nikki Everard. Uh, her current club, OH Leuven, not keen on letting the goalkeeper go. Her contract is to 2023. 
Do you feel like this is an, a necessary backup? Yeah, I think so. I, I think I think we talked about it a couple of episodes ago that when it comes to goalkeepers and 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 what the situation is now, especially with AKB situation, is that I think Chelsea need two top goalkeepers. If we're talking about two starting 11s and we're talking about the WSL, we're talking about Champions League, FA Cup, County Cup, all of this put together, it's four important competitions. You can't go in with just one first team goalkeeper. You're going to need somebody else who's equally as good, if not um, a capable backup. And I think Nikki Avrata, the Euro showed that she's uh, she was she was pretty good. You know, one of the goalkeepers that had... Uh, one of the highest save percentages and saves in 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 the Euros, and kind of showed her quality, and and, and would come in and in you know in a way maybe even be keen to to, to compete against Musabich, and, and almost in in a in a good way think that she has a chance to actually get Musabich off that number one position and actually have a chance to get in there. It's not like when it was if it's AKB, you're like well, for the most part I'm just going to be sitting on the bench. No, there is there there could be genuine competition here, and I think that would just that just drives it better for Chelsea and. You know, we've seen injuries happen. Uh, keepers come in, keepers lose form. AKB was dropped for a few games last year, and you had Musovic come in and, and, and deliver uh, some good games. So I think Nikki Avrod needs to be that for Musovic and, and, and just so that Chelsea are safe in the fact that when they go in, if they need another goalkeeper, they've got one on the bench that's capable enough. And, you know, we kind of said that Emily Orman isn't exactly, uh, uh, isn't exactly there yet, so... Yeah, I, I made a joke on, on Twitter that, that we could have a great bouncy castle outside King's Meadow because for anyone who doesn't know, Nicky Everard also runs a bouncy castle company in Belgium. But I think also that touches on something that's quite, I guess, interesting about this transfer is is the point is she's a, a part-time player. And I think, I guess, you know, the the way we've seen the, the women's game develop, that there is still this massive gap at points between you know players who who really impress at the euro say but but don't have full time gigs in the game and you kind of think well for for her club to be holding on to her i understand it but also just for her the opportunity to go and, and get a full time salary and and train full time feels like such an amazing opportunity when she's clearly an incredibly talented goalkeeper you almost, even separate from from the Chelsea thing, kind of want it to to work out for her because you can kind of put your, yourself in that position, right? And 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 think about it. But um, yeah, obviously we'll, we'll see what happens there. I I do think she's quite short still. So I but I think she would be a good backup. Um, but I think you know obviously so much of it is going to depend on on how everything everything plays out both both with AKB and and Musovic, to be honest. Um. But we're going to take a quick break now and and when we come back we'll be discussing the defence, the midfield and the attack. But for now, uh, thanks to the sponsors for supporting the show. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with over 5,000 plus server options. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue, you can receive a huge discount on a two year plan plus one free month. 
We all love to binge, but look, privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an affected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk when you use our 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue you a refund. You can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check out my link again. That's nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue to get your subscription started today. Okay, so looking at defenders, I think this is maybe the most interesting section in inverted commas, of the Chelsea squad this year. In terms of what I feel like I know the least about what's going to happen, in terms of what seems to have the most players, because I wrote them all out and was like, holy shit, we have so many defenders. How We went into last season being like, we just have Millie Bright and a and Magda Eriksson and then like one shoe maybe to play in defence. Now we have loads. Um, and I've got no idea how they're going to work out, Blair. So... Just to read them out, Jess Carter, Millie Bright, Mara Mielda, Khadija Buchanan, Magda Eriksson, Eve Perisette, and Alsu Abdelina. We've seen Chelsea play back four with Perisette, Bright, Buchanan, and Eriksson. That was against uh, the Portland Thorns. Blair, do you think this is what Hayes is going to be leaning towards this season? And if so, do you see Magda Eriksson as being up to that left-back task? Because it'll be quite a shift, right? Yeah, it's a different position, isn't it? And she has to get forward a lot more and a lot higher. Um, I think she's she's pretty good on the ball and she's a good athlete, so I think she can she can fill in. I don't know if it's her best position. Um, I think she's a centre half, but um, she can definitely fill in there. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, if they stick to a back four because there's no real outside of Ericsson. I don't know if there's really like an obvious uh, left back option. I've not really seen much of Abdelina since she signed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think it'll be, I think it'll be something that Chelsea switch between. I like the fact that they're really unpredictable, and you don't know. Like even if you see the team sheet, you don't really know what formation that Hayes is is playing. And ain't that true? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> I watched the, the Tottenham friendly. It's about five minutes to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, so I think that's a good thing because the opponent will never know what's coming. Um, but yeah, I'm, I think the back three probably is is where I would go with with that Chelsea team right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting, won't it, Abdullah? Because Jess Carter played a huge amount of minutes last season and basically in every version of this defence I try and line up, I don't really see a role for her. Um, Am I overlooking something? Because it feels incredibly harsh, but whether you look player back three of Buchanan, Brighton, Eriksson and have Guru as your left wing back, Perisette as your right wing back, or the four... And Ryan's pushed up. There's still no Jess Carter there, right? Yeah, I, I, and and the unfortunate thing is, I think that's just how it's going to play out. At least at the start of the season, it is it is it is unfortunate and it's harsh because we've seen Jess Carter go from this player that everybody was like, "What are you even doing in the team? You're making mistake after mistake after mistake." To most improved player in this Chelsea side, all right, you deserve to be in the starting eleven every week, every game. But I feel like she's still she's still young, and but she's still at a point where she's in her development of getting better and better and better. 
And obviously there's a jump to make, but when you get players like Chidisha Buchanan in and Eve Perese in, you kind of look at it and go, right, like Carter, you played really, really well and you're good. But these two are like accomplished world-class players coming into the side and you kind of have to give way for them. It's almost, you know, in a weird way, I almost look at it and Jess Carter in maybe at the back of her head going, fair enough. Like I'm not like, it's not like I'm being dropped for like, you know, uh, a third tier player. I'm being dropped for world-class internationals here uh, who, who've been playing at the highest level for so many years. So in a way she'll learn from it. But the thing, but the good thing is she adds quality depth. The minute there needs to be a first change anywhere in the back four, you can bring on Jess Carter and be like, right, you can fill in without actually dropping the quality as, as much as, as much as you think. In, in a weird way, you might even bring Jess Carter on before Marin Mielda. I mean, that's that's the that's the point of the pecking order. I think that Jess Carter might be in where, because she's played more football and she's developed more and she's she's a little bit more she's better in that. You know, we've talked about her one on one defending for so long last season, which which if you needed to man mark someone, you put Jess Carter on there and and she'll do a job for you. So, I really feel like Jess Carter is just on that verge of like I can make the first team, but there's just like players who are maybe like two a tier higher, better than her, and that's the only thing that's going against her here. I do wonder if that that 1v1 thing is is maybe the point here is that we will see in games potentially where you are facing up to a Lauren Hemp or something. Maybe Carter is preferred over Perisette. And I think hopefully, you know, I think we all know that Jess got a lot of minutes last season because there weren't a ton of other options, but she also showed she deserved those minutes. And I guess maybe what I would like to see from her this season is to say, like, look, I think Eve Perisette is a very, very good fullback. But I don't think she's an insurmountable fullback. Like, I would like to see Jess go out and be like, there's big competition for my place. I'm maybe not the first choice anymore, but maybe by the end of the season, she could be. Because, as you say, Abdullah, she is still young. I think she has that that quality. She's just maybe looking to take that step up. And I hope the competition kind of prompts her to do that. Um, but Blair, a player who I don't think is going to have much competition in this Chelsea team, not because we don't have other good centre-backs, to be fair, but just because she's very good, is Kadish Buchanan. Um, obviously, you know, let's make no bones about it. Chelsea's focus, Emma Hayes' focus, is always going to be the Women's Champions League. We've won everything else a million times and it's enjoyable, but, you know, it, there's the one thing we're still looking for. Do you think Buchanan is is going to be a, a difference maker for Chelsea in that competition. Yeah, I think she's like a one v one defending on the ground. I think she's world class. I think every time I watched Canada, her and Vanessa Gilles are just like a wall in front of the goal. Um, I don't know if any teams ever got a shot on target against Canada <laughs> because <laughs> she's very good at walking shots um, and she's really quick. So I think she's she's going to be a good addition. And also, I saw in the, the preseason games, I thought her footwork was really good, really composed under pressure. You know, when she was. Um, building out from the back and stuff, so I think she'll bring a lot to the to the back line, and she can she looks like she can play sort of as the covering defender between Brighton Eriksson, or or in, obviously in a back four she's played for, for for Leon in the back four, so I think she'll she'll improve the back three. One thing I would say is I think she's weak in the air, um, and I think that's maybe something that might be targeted by teams. I think if we were um, I did I did some like research on uh, aerial ability and. and in defenders last season and compared her to Renard and Renard was like 70% and Buchanan was more like sort of 20-30% and 
we saw in the Portland game, she got beat for a flick and the, the striker flicked it on and they had a chance. So that's probably the one area of weakness that she has, but it's not really a massive problem when you've got Millie Bright next to you. So I think, <laughs> um, I think she'll be an improvement, yeah. Yeah, I think it'll be it'll be very exciting to see. I think how that defense defense ends up looking. But moving into the midfield, I, I struggled to split my midfielders and my attackers just because everyone at this club is a bloody number ten. So I don't know how you break them up. But this is how I've tried to. I've I have put as midfielders. Sophie Ingle, Erin Cuthbert, Katrina Svitkova, Jesse Fleming, and Yelena Kankovic. Svitkova, yeah, I think we've seen her excel at left wing back. I'd like to see her covering there, but I think maybe the Chelsea see her as a midfielder. Uh, Kankovic and Fleming also like seeing them more further forward, but who knows. Um, Melanie Leupoltz, obviously due to be back at some point this season. Uh, Abdullah... I see you as a bit of a midfield connoisseur, I'm not going to lie. I feel like that's your speciality on the pitch. Does this set of players have the outline Chelsea need this season? First of all, thank you very much. I do do (laughs) like the number six position myself. Oh, okay. (laughs) I do like the six position myself, so uh, back in the day. Anyway, uh, to more serious matters. um, I... You know, I think um, I think there's a player. I think there's a, there's a profile short, not not a, not a, not a personnel shortage, but like a profile shortage. It's like I look at that midfield and I go, it's very attacking. It's very creative and very attacking. I don't see that balance in there. And Sophie Ingles the only one, and Sophie Ingles not getting any younger. She's got a year left on a contract at this point. It looks like this might be her last season at the club. But you can't go into a season going right. Sophie Ingles really our natural, only natural number six. And I know that Aaron's been te- tried and tested in preseason against Leon and against Portland as, as a number six, and she did really, really well. And, and I'm assuming the fact that the club are going after Greciolo is the fact that they want to make Aaron this pure number six along with Sophie Ingle. So they have two sixes there. Giro comes in and with Leupold's and they all, rest them become eights, right? If that's the case, then fine. Um... More so because I think Aaron can play that role really, really well. But if you want to go for some forward planning in the inevitability that Sofinger will leave in a year's time, I would have started looking at some other sixes. And if they're, I don't know if they were looking at sixes because there was no rumors, no links to any of them, but I would have started looking at a long term number six. Now, unless the club again are saying, right, we see Aaron Cuthbert as that player, but then not, not to mention Aaron's also on one year left on her contract as well, if I'm not wrong. So, there is that little bit of a gamble there. So I would, instead of maybe Grace Giro, I would maybe go and look for a world-class number six and, and come in and come in from there. But then again, it's it's a gamble that Chelsea are taking with with a converted number six and a, a slightly older number six. So we'll see how... And again, sorry. And one last thing. Svitkova, we, we've talked about before. Kind of a versatile player. Can play left wing back. Can play uh, it kind of a couple of roles in midfield. So maybe again, they're relying on the fact that, right, We'll use Svitkova deeper if we really need to in, in a double pivot or a single pivot if we need to. Uh, and then we'll let Fleming, Kankovic, uh, Wrighton's played in, in, in the left side of midfield, you know, in there as well. So it's kind of these uh, this jigsaw puzzle that they just kind of navigate through by mixing these midfielders and, uh, and, and, and attackers together. 
Yeah, it's definitely a tough one because I think we all know there aren't a plethora of number sixes kind of out there to be got. Obviously, that's mainly because Barcelona seem intent on taking two of the world's best three. Um, but if, if that's going to be the case, but, you know, I think Arsenal were probably looking for a backup for Leo Volti and they've not been able to kind of find anyone. Um, yeah, and I guess that's why the Aaron Cuthbert thing is so attractive, because I think she has, you know, Abdullah, as you as you've said many times, she has all the qualities, maybe a, apart from the size. Um which, I don't know, maybe I'm being too much of a old football man yells at a cloud for thinking about that stuff, but I do think it's worth bearing in mind. She's pretty teensy. N'Golo Kante is not a big guy. That's he true. Makes it work. That's true. He does make it work, but he rarely sits as the deepest player. So you, I think you that's what you have to figure out, right? True, like, true. The balance between... And that's why I think Gayoro would be great, because I think the give and go between Gayoro and Cuthbert is something I could really get on board with because I don't see Gayoro as a player who could purely sit at the base of midfield. But do I think she could sit there and let someone else go forward and then swap? I think she's clever enough to do that. I, I Okay, and in going on that, then do we think that there's a chance that maybe this Chelsea team move into a double pivot of sorts? Because if you're going to get Gioro and you, you want to play that give and go, you go with the double pivot. You play with two sitting at the base so that you're protected. One can go forward, one can go back. And in defensive transition, you've got two players protecting the back back four or, or even back three. So I, I there is there's a lot of possibilities here. So whether Gioro comes in, Loipols comes back, she doesn't come, there's just so many possibilities. Yeah. Blair, I think from all the conversations we've we've having, we all know that midfield has maybe been a bit of a problem position for Hayes and and Chelsea over the past couple of seasons. Ignoring specifically the the personnel and thinking more about Emma Hayes, how she's used the players she has, because I don't think she's ever really been short of players. Um, although, yeah, maybe the profiles haven't been perfect. What are you looking to see from her in the way she balances the players she has available to really succeed this season? Yeah, I think the the point about Cuthbert, I think you're both right, because I think uh, I see what Abdullah's saying about Cuthbert. I think she's a really amazing playmaker. Um, watch, I get watching these pre-season games, it was just, I was thinking, if, if I didn't know she played in different position, if, she, if I didn't know she was playing right wing back last season, I'd just think that like she's one of the best playmakers in the world. So... Um, I think a movement like to make an angle and, and get free in midfield is really good. There's a lot of midfielders that struggle with that. I think even Kira Walsh um, could probably improve in that area. Um, a passing is top notch. But I see what you're saying, Jesse, as well about her physicality because she was doing tactical fouls nonstop in pre-season. I think if you play her there on her own against a really big team, you're going to get counter-attacked and she's going to pick up a yellow, maybe two yellows, and it's going to be troublesome. So I think um, if it's a 4-3-3, then yeah, Cuthbert on her own I think I would only use a 4-3-3 with Cuthbert there against like a really weak team. Like, um, no offence to Spurs, but in the pre-season friendly, you played Cuthbert there with Lauren James and Harder. Like, I think that can work. Um, that was potentially also... the most offensive lineup I've ever seen Emma Hayes put out. <laughs> she was like, I'm not worried about attacking. <laughs> She's like, you can try, but I'm not really bothered. It was really, uh, it was very attacking, but it worked quite well, actually. And Lauren James... Uh, I think she could play in midfield in that sort of situation as an attack in the field, but that's an aside. But um, yeah, Cuthbert, I like her, but uh, in like big Champions League games and stuff, I think you need to partner with Engel or Loopholes or sign someone else. 
I'll give a shout out to Irene Witzer. I think that's how you say her name, Athletic Bilbao, because I think she, Chelsea should be looking at her. Even though she's injured right now, I think she could be a great older midfielder in the future. Um, really big and strong and stuff. So that's, that's, a, that's a sign that I'd probably look to make. Okay, cool. Let's move on from the midfielders. I think there's a lot of questions still to be answered there. And I think, you know, the gay Oro piece, whether that happens or not, is probably going to change our opinions of that. Uh, the transfer window for context closes what is currently next Thursday uh, at midnight for international signings, 5pm for domestic. Um, but looking at our attackers, I think the Chelsea's attacking lineup feels like it's much more set than maybe I've thought it has been in, in previous seasons. But uh, Sam Kerb, Neil Harder, Frank Kirby, Guru Wright and Lauren James and Johanna Ritten canarid I think there's like a fairly obvious front four-ish here if everyone is fit um but one of the players who who maybe could make me change my mind about that is Lauren James Abdullah we keep talking about her pre-season she's got the England call up is this going to be Lauren's breakout year a hundred percent I mean the way she started out pre-season being called up to England as well she looks sharp she looks fit you know she looks like um She's going to be able to, uh, you know, really going to be able to make a difference this year. And, um, you know, and, and I think a fully fit Lauren James now feels like another new signing on top of the seven that Chelsea have already made. It's like the eighth signing that's come in because she barely played last year and was just kind of recovering from from her injury. And and I think she just brings it completely. What I like about this attacking kind of the personnel that Chelsea have is there is a different profile in everybody. No one is the same. Sam is a completely different type of striker. Fran Kirby is a different type of striker. Guru Wrighton is a completely different left left winger to Penela Harder. Penela Harder is a different sort of 10, 10 you know, left winger. JRK, Jojo is is another profile on, on the right side that's different to Lauren James. And so you look at it and go, wow, that's actually a really good set of... And then you know what? Not to mention, you can throw in Neve Charles in there who can play, who's naturally a right-sided attacker as well. Again, another different sort of... Uh, sort of player that, that you know, you, you can throw in there. So there's like different combinations and you can weirdly throw in any three of these together. It's like you can like pick names out of a hat and go, all right, today I'm going to play JRK, Lauren James and Gur Wrighton. And you can make that a front three and it, it could actually do pretty decently well. Um, but no, I think I think specifically going back to Lauren James, I think she just brings something different, can play as a striker, can play on the right, can play as a 10, can even play as in a very attacking number eight. So, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how she does. And, and I think the only thing she needs to do now is score a few more goals. But, uh, you know, if she can get that in a Chelsea shirt, I can see her making that right wing position hers. And if Kirby is still injured at the start of the season, then it's, it's Lauren James to start with. You totally just made me realise that I missed Neve Charles off my entire list of Chelsea players, and now I feel like an <laughs> absolutely awful, horrible person. Relegated to the under-23s okay. and relegated off Jesse's <laughs> Chelsea squad list. <laughs> it's how big the squad is. This it is, is how, how big, big the squad, squad is. It's hard to, it's hard to keep up with everyone. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Neve, I apologise to you. I hope you have a fantastic season. <laughs> but, but Blair, we kind of touched on her earlier. Um what what do you make of, of Canarid? I think she's a player who has a very different profile to lots of the other attackers in the squad. I've got to be honest, it's a signing I don't entirely understand in terms of... I feel like she seems quite raw to me still, having seen her in pre-season. 
And this doesn't seem like a set of attackers which you can come into and be raw. Yeah, I think that's that's probably how I would summarise it as well. I saw her at the Euros and I thought she looked lively and, and quick and stuff. And she's obviously quite tricky. But um, sometimes with some of these younger wingers, it's like they just need to put it all together. And uh, it's like decision making is like the last the last step they need to take. And I think it's probably the case with, with her. You know, she was making some nice runs um, in pre-season, I thought, in behind. So she gives you that option. Because I think apart from Kerr, there aren't maybe a lot of players in that attack who are offering the option behind um, the way she can, apart from this was England as well. But, um, you know, players like Harder and stuff, I think they prefer to come into midfield or drift wide. Or I think Rita and it looks very direct and, and very quick. So um, I think she will add something. I think she'll add a bit of chaos. I mean, like just a bit of unpredictability and, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, maybe just streamline her game and make it simplify things a little bit and you know when to when to pass and when to keep on dribbling specifically yeah i think it, that decision making is is definitely something i feel like i i noticed uh during pre-season especially in that spurs game there were just moments where i wanted her to do something slightly different with the ball and, and it didn't quite happen and also you know i think that's fine like it's pre-season and she's just come into a team and then hopefully that's something that she'll pick up over the season. And I think, you know, with we're still learning, I think, about how the Champions League group stage influences the development of squads within the women's game. But I do think it is something that gives opportunities for a lot more minutes, obviously. You know, it's, it's six extra games, basically, um, for squads to have. Uh, but... Abdullah, thinking about that minute piece, thinking about whether Canada gets those minutes, is this going to predominantly be a kind of front four of Kerr, Kirby, Harder, and Wrighton? Assuming it's a, that's kind of assuming it's a back four, um, or you know, even if it's a back three, maybe a front three of Kerr, Kirby, and Harder. Is that is that still the go to? I, I think so. I, I think I think these are your best three players. And I, I would actually say now that regardless of formation, I think Wrighton has forced herself into the conversation of having to start the game regardless. I think I think Wrighton is in that league of harder Kirby and Kirby are like, you can't leave Wrighton out. Regardless, you've got to put her in that team. In the back three, you can play her at left wing back. In and in a front four, you can play her as a, as a left winger. And I think, like you said, I think this is the front four. And I think... And maybe one of the reasons for getting a candidate in is is not to start these games, but is to come on as that as that impact sub and last twenty minutes to go, fifteen minutes to go, tired legs, boom, go, uh, you know, get at defenders and, and do it or bring something different. And then again, for ro- and then for rotation sake, when you come in against a Brighton or something, you know, after a Champions League group stage game, for example, you go in and you you can start a candidate and go, all right, you know what, we have a, we have a good quality player. There, who can start a game along with the Lauren James and uh, you know, and whoever else, and and just and just and just make that of it. But yeah, no, I I think this is the front four, and regardless of formation, because I think they've proven themselves to be uh, uh, world class, and they find they've now played a couple of seasons together. So this is almost like the breakout season for the four of them together to really be like a force going into Europe. Yeah, Blair, I w- I wanted to touch on that because I think of those four. We see them as four very elite players, but maybe there's one who it still doesn't feel like it's quite clicked for her, and that and that's been a little harder. She's entering the last year of her contract. The noises in the Twitter sphere, which you know, take with a pinch of salt always, but but seem to be that 
it's not necessarily certain that she's going to sign another contract at the club. Why do you think we've not... And I think it is fair to say we've not really seen the best of her. I think we've seen amazing moments, but I don't think we've seen consistent moments. I think some of that's due to injury, but what's your kind of take on, on Harder's time at Chelsea? And and does that change this year? Well, so far, I see what you're saying about not really knowing like, what her best possession is and stuff like that, because... Um, yeah, I think maybe the problem with Harder is she is always the star of the team, but at Chelsea she isn't, and the star is Sam Kerr, and so Harder needs to sort of fit in around Sam Kerr, um, and sometimes that might be quite difficult because you're then asking two star players to form like combinations and be a partnership, and they're not they're not used to being a partnership, so maybe that's part of the problem. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think she just she's like a freewheeling player, isn't she? In that system, you just put her in attack somewhere and let her do her thing. You know, she's really good at showing for the ball. She's really good at close control. She's quick. She can score. She can pass. So she can do basically everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's one of those things where you lose an elite player in a year and then think you sort of simplify your system a little bit and it becomes a bit more efficient. That might be what happens. But um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens this season. Um, because, uh, you know, again, in the Tottenham game, it was a 4-3-3, and, and, and certainly at times it won the first half it was, and then Harder was playing in there with James. So um, that was quite interesting to see. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what to make of Penelope Harder at Chelsea. She's been she's been good, uh, but this maybe overshadowed slightly by Sam Kerr. Yeah, I think that's fair, because I think it's impossible to fault the work ethic Harder puts in and... I think the amount of stuff she does for the team that goes unnoticed uh, is is incredible. And I think, you know, that 4-3-3 against Spurs was a, was a great example of that because she cleaned up in midfield because she did the work. And, like, Spurs aren't a bad team. I know it's preseason, but they probably put out what's their first choice 11. Um, and, you know, as Blair kind of touched on earlier, there was no problem that Erin Cuthbert was just kind of your, like, soul-holding midfielder because Lauren James and predominantly Penelope Harder really got it done. I do think if there was this switch to the four and Harder played at a 10, that would make a lot more sense because I've never felt like that kind of inner left-wing spot has has really suited her. I think she needs a lot more space that comes from playing at the 10. And I, I also think the injury she got like at Christmas last year... It was just really infuriating because she went through that first three months as, as Chelsea's best player uh, by a country mile. And it just never really happened for her when she came back from the injury. And I think what I hope is that she goes into this season with the same kind of energy she came into last season. And and we see, you know, maybe a bit more connected version of her. Um, because I think, you know, the flashes she showed, when I think specifically of the goals she scored against Manchester United, you're like, wow. They're, you, like, I love Sam Kerr, and Sam Kerr's very, very talented in a very specific way. But if you had to get me to put money on the most talented footballer at Chelsea, I think even beyond Frank Herby, who I love and adore, you would still have to give it to Penelope Harder. So I really, really hope this year... This year is is what twigs for her. Um, but I just wanted to touch on one more player in in the attackers. That's Beth England, um, a player who 
Obviously, over time, there's been a lot more calls for her to start to play more minutes. I actually think most of the people who call for that don't watch Chelsea enough because I know she's not the starting striker, but I don't think she doesn't get minutes, especially last year. I don't think she didn't get minutes because there were so many injuries to Fran and Penela. But, you know, she obviously went to the Euros. She... She didn't get any minutes there either. Ellen White's now retired. What does like what does this season mean for her personally? Like not just in terms of how she fits in Chelsea, but what do you think is going on there? I don't actually know. It's a very puzzling situation when it comes to Beth England because you you look at the the names that we just called out earlier and you go, I mean, those are some big names and we talked about that front four of, of Kirk, Kirby, Harder and Wrighton and they're predominantly going to be playing the Champions League games, the big games um, and, and you're probably going to be relegating Beth England and, and Co to probably the second tier games, you know, your, your, your mid-table games, your lower, your lower league table games and I don't think that's what Beth England wants and especially with the fact that you just mentioned Ellen White's retired this is, well we, we all know what Lester Russo is all about but this is, a, this is a chance for Beth England to finally stake her claim as England's number nine. And staying at Chelsea this season, I don't know if that does that for her unless she's been told and promised some sort of serious game time or some sort of like, all right, we're going to fit you in to really accommodate your strengths when you do get your minutes and, and really nail down a, a position. Beyond that, I really don't see why... Beth England couldn't... I mean, there were, there were suitors lining up. I mean, there's a, what was one point, there was a rumour that Juventus were interested in, 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 in Beth England to replace Lena Hurtig, who went to Arsenal. And, you you know, she would have been number one there, considering that there was a big hole left up in that, in that centre-forward position. And, um, you know, we've seen Lucy Bronze going over to France, so there have been success stories moving, you know, across the, across the continent. But... It's a strange one. I don't know. I, I still think Beth England brings something very different to the t- to the team that, that that the rest of them don't have. Again, it just goes with the fact that every profile in, the, in that attacking lineup is different. Um, but I just don't see how Beth England, with the games that there are, gets significant amount of minutes for her to be able to be happy. And then maybe even for Serena Weigman to go, have you been playing enough for me to select you in my squad, as a, even as that third striker? Because... Maybe somebody else comes up. Maybe maybe she still gets in on, on the merit of being the experienced one. But you know, you, does she really want to take that chance going into the season? So, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. Yeah, that's an interesting point, actually. You know, that, that experienced role she, she does come into because you'd have to say, yeah, obviously Alessia Russo, I think, will be England's starting number nine for now. But then beyond that, you're looking at players like Ebony Salmon. There's no one else really in, in Beth's age bracket. But, you know, as a Chelsea fan, I am never going to complain about having Beth England as my second choice or, or one and a half choice number nine because I think she's such a fantastic player. But I just hope it's the right thing for her, ultimately. Um, and yeah, I do think she'll get the chances still although maybe less than last season and and hopefully it's just on her to to really push sam because i still believe she could push sam like genuinely like i think she's she is that talented but we will see um okay that's the squad apparently there are other football teams uh domestically yet not always been a lot of competition we have won the last three leagues and what is it three of the last four Five of the last six? 
I lose track. We've won a lot of the cups. Um, but uh, let's start with Arsenal here. They they were our main threat last season. Obviously, we had the very frustrating and cheating loss, but we don't think about it anymore because we did actually win the league uh, at the Emirates on the opening day of the season. Not much movement in the transfer market for them, Abdullah. Yeah, it's 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 weird. Um, I would have thought that Jonas would have been all over the market to get insufficient backup because the one thing that Arsenal couldn't do last season was just close out some key games. I mean, you know, they did well. Yeah, sure, they 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 pushed Chelsea all the way to the last day of the season, but it got to the point where they needed other teams to do them a favor to be able to win the league. And you know, when you're competing against a Chelsea and a Manchester City. And we'll, we'll get on to Manchester City in a second, but it's almost like the two of those teams have gone in completely inverse, reverse strategies in the transfer market. One barely bought players and one bought but too many players, right? And you almost want to think that it kind of needed to be the other way around in a weird way where I think Arsenal needed to buy a few more players than they did and City didn't need to buy as many players as they did, right? They still have a few here and there. Um, I don't know. I, th- I think Arsenal will obviously still be a threat. They'll still be up there. Jonas has had a good full season with his squad, um, but I feel like they're a player too short. And I don't, I don't, I think, I think with Chelsea having so many, so many quality players, and yes, bedding into the team and getting gelling in will take time. Obviously, we understand that, and we know Emma Hayes' way of bringing players into the, into the first team. But if if Chelsea can play a midweek game and say they're playing Arsenal on the weekend, that rotation of bringing being able to bring in quality players for either game is what's going to count for Chelsea over an Arsenal or Manchester City for me. And, and that's where I think where Arsenal are going to lack by not bringing in enough uh, enough uh, bodies into the team. We have still a week, so who knows? Maybe they, they go on a shopping screen, they bring in three players, but, you know. Yeah, I think it's funny because when I was adding everyone up, um, Arsenal ended up with 20 players and City ended up with about 22 and Chelsea ended up with about 23. And in my mind, Arsenal had about... 12 to go into the season so I think maybe it also just speaks to that they've got this weird set of Montemuro players versus Idaval players still where there's there's people like Iwabuchi and and maybe Jordan Nobbs in there as well where it's not really obvious like where they fit within the system Idaval wants to play so even though you've got the bodies I don't know how much sense it makes um but but moving on to Manchester City uh to lose one midfielder feels <laughs> like a misfortune, but to lose potentially all three of your starting midfield feels like carelessness, said Oscar Wilde about Gareth Taylor's Manchester City player. What have you made of the summer for for that club? Uh, well, I'm going to try not to be too harsh, um, which is hard because <laughs> it's been a bad summer. Um, yeah, I think last season was really disappointing. I know that the Olympics was used as a reason, but everybody could see the Olympics coming. It's kind of a big event. Um, I don't really see that as a reason for why they did so badly. Um, and I watched them in the Real Madrid, the Champions League qualifier, and I just I saw the same team with the same style of play, with probably slightly younger, less experienced, worse players right now. Um, I think Weir and Bronze are like almost un- unreplaceable. I don't know if you can get anybody in that can do what they do in those positions. And I think Stanway was underutilised uh, by City towards the end last season. Um, I think I-, I don't know what uh, I don't know what they were doing playing on the wing, and 
all that kind of stuff. Um, I know they have a lot of midfielders. They had a lot of midfielders previously, but yeah, I think they've lost three really good players. I don't know if they've replaced them. Some of the signings, I mean, you know, they brought in uh, Leia Alexandre, who I think is a good player, but I don't know if I'd say she's a centre-back. So I don't know if she's going to play centre-half. She she can't play centre-mid because they only play Kira Walsh in the holding mid position. So I just think there's a lot, you know, Dana Castellanos, um, you know, she's gone in and I don't know where she's going to play because now Bunny Shaw is going to be the striker and I don't know where Dana's going to play because Gareth Taylor doesn't change his, his formation. Um, yeah, I, I I don't know what to say other than it's it's looking bleak for City, I think. Yeah, it's, it, it's weird because it's almost exactly like that. You look at it on paper, the names they've signed, and do you think this is a very talented set of players, really? But in terms of the age, the fit, and then the sheer turnover, I think if they'd signed half of those younger players and kind of, you know, embedded them within the team, I'd be like, great. And then signing the other half next summer, I'd be like, okay, that will make sense. But, you know, yeah, when you're looking at, well, if if Walsh goes as well, five of their starting 11, basically, having left, that's that's a big, big chunk of, of turnover. And, yeah, I do kind of not worry for them because... I don't really care, obviously, but I, do, I think, you know, I believe a strong WSL is good for a strong Chelsea, is good for, you know, a good Champions League run, etc., etc. And it, it is a bit bizarre to watch a team which clearly, clearly has enough pull to bring in all these exciting players just basically not seem to have a plan on, on how it puts together or, or a manager who, who knows how it puts together. Um, but kind of touching on Europe there as well, obviously... We will have a very big eye on the Champions League this season. So, I wanted both of you to pick a team from Europe. Who who should we be watching? Who should we be keeping an eye in? Abdullah, I'll come to you first on the continent this season. Uh, you got to go with the defending champions, uh, uh, Leon. I mean, they're just um, they, they 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 won it obviously, and 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 they've they've gone and they've got the same squad. They, they've they've strengthened a little bit. They've gotten a couple of players that. Um, that just add to their uh, add to their starting line. Obviously, they lost Kedisha Buchanan to, to Chelsea, which is a massive, massive loss, and they haven't replaced um, her exactly. I think they're bringing in Alice Sombath, uh, who's their academy player, and uh, using Amadine Henri as, as, as kind of like the fourth centre-back, and I think they're still in the market for another player or two, but I still think they'll be a massive threat. They still have Ada Hegerberg, you know, who will be even more fit than, than, than she was last season, and everyone's a year older. So, yeah, for me, it's Leon. Blair, who are you going to be watching? VPNing too. I'm, <laughs> I'm quite excited to see Real Madrid play because obviously they've got Caroline Weir now, so um, that that'll be exciting. It's just fun to watch Caroline Weir, I think. And then yeah, I quite liked what they did last season with the new manager. He looked to steady the ship a little bit, made them a bit more organised, and um, I think they they could be like a maybe a dark horse in the Champions League. I don't think they're going to win it, but they could maybe be like this season's Juventus, you know. So a team to avoid in the group stage sort of thing. Yeah, they've definitely got a lot of talented players and I think adding Weir and Toletti has looked very, very sensible. Um, exciting and sensible because it just feels like they've both been perfect fits the way Real Madrid want to play, but taking them to that next level. Uh, for me, I hate to say it, but it's got to be Wolfsburg. That team is stacked. 
with exciting players. They have somehow, I think, managed to upgrade their goalkeeper, which I didn't really know was possible, but they, they seem to have been able to do it. There are so many good players that, yeah, can play in attacking roles. Um, my favourite Euler brand is now going to be an Wolfsburg shirt. That makes me feel a little bit ill. I feel annoyed as well because I don't know if she's going to get minutes because there's too, there's too many good players there. Um, but yeah, I think Alex Pop as well and Svenja Hoot both seem to be like defying father time in terms of just seeming to get better as they get older. But hello, we will beat them in the Champions League final at, in Eindhoven, I'm sure. Uh, I feel confident about that. Uh, and, and with that, I will... I've been put on the spot already. Um, we've put other people on the spot, but I want both of you to be put on the spot and give me your predictions for where Chelsea will finish in the WSL and where they will finish in the Champions League. So, Blair, I'm going to go to you first as the guest. Great, thank you very much. I'll go top of the league and I'll go semi-finals Champions League. I, I think I, I think I can take that, Abdullah. Yeah, same for me as well. I thought I think they'll they'll win the league and I think they'll get to at least the semi-final in the Champions League. Just to recap, listeners, I believe we're winning it all because I am manifesting this season. It's all about the manifest. We are going to win the Champions League. Um, yes, but when, when, yes. when has manifesting ever worked for you? The manifesting worked for England to win the Euros. It no, worked to win the Euros. I manifested so hard. <laughs> That's how I got converted. I used to be a cynic. And it always no. used to be like, no, we'll go out at the quarterfinals. No, no longer. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, come May, we will find out. We will know. Uh, but for now, Chelsea kick off their WSL season on Sunday uh, at 12.30 UK time, I believe, at Stamford Bridge against West Ham. Um, and from then on, we'll be we'll be rolling through the season. Uh, but until then, Chelsea fans, you know what to do: keep the blue flag flying high.